All kids have to learn their ABCs and 123s. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. On today's show, we're checking in with one early childhood education program in Brooklyn that uses classic songs and original ones to create a unique music-centric learning experience for young ones. Alex Branson is the creator and host of Lavender Blues. She joins us to talk about her journey from being a nanny to becoming the baby singer and the benefits of music classes for young children, or bunnies, as she likes to call them. The itty bitty spider climbed up the big tall tree. Down came the snow, and it made the spider free. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Well, thank you so much for having me, of course, George. So, you were originally a nanny for some 15 years. What inspired you to begin working with kids in the first place? In the first place, I was always just really good at it. So as a teenager, I babysat all the time. I was 12 years old when I had my very first babysitting gig. It was with a newborn that lived right next door. So these parents must have been definitely desperate as I think back on it, how they could trust me, this 12-year-old girl with their newborn infant. Um, My mother would be home most of the time that I babysat, so I think that was a like a something that helped them say yes but ever since then i i just was always around kids kids would just walk to me like gravitate towards me my mother would call me the pied piper because wherever i went children would follow it wouldn't matter where we were what situation we'd be in we'd be at a fancy restaurant having dinner just me and my mother maybe sipping some wine and a child would just appear (laughs) next to me. You're giving off a certain kid energy, huh? Certain vibe, definitely. And I feel like I understand babies and toddlers. I just have that, that innate sense of understanding what they want when the rest of the world is too fast for them. Like I, I get them and I think they understand that. What would you say that first experience taught you when you were 12 years old? What did you learn most from that? Um, I learned the basics. I learned how to feed and diaper and put a baby to sleep. Um, But then I also learned how to entertain them at the same time. At 12 years old with that first baby, I was really into Barney, the purple dinosaur. I would watch those shows over and over and over and I had the baby with me, so it was okay. And um, little did I know that I would be Barney for the next generation. It never clicked. How did you become Barney? I became well, the baby singer um, in t- 2012. I, um, I would just get by- back from London. I was in London as a professional nanny, living life, traveling. I was in my 20s. And um, around 31, I was transitioning out of a job. And I needed to do something else. So I was back in America. And I didn't want to go and do the interview process with another family because when you are with children as a nanny and you raise them for years i was with my last family five and a half years and it was just like it's like those children are my children i raised them to be good human beings and then they just go off into the world with their families and that it's just it's heartbreaking so i didn't want to do it anymore at 31 but i still wanted 
to hang out with kids. I still wanted to be the fun, happy-go-lucky, always play on the playgrounds, always, you know, on the floor at their level playing. So how could I incorporate that into a job? So talk us through the concept behind Lavender Blues music and how it came about. Well, it came about the beginning because I, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, I love to sing. I think singing is so fun. I sing in the shower. I sing in the car. I sing all the time. And as a young person, I always said to everybody, anybody who would listen, I need to be on Broadway. I would be on Broadway. If I had any kind of talent, I would be on Broadway. And of course, I love to sing, but I didn't think I was particularly good at it. And um, it was my enthusiasm in the beginning that got me through class. And I decided to merge my love of singing into my love of hanging out with kids. And I had been to so many enrichment programs as a nanny. I felt every time I went to one that I could do it and I could do it better. So I was just like, I was in a new stage of life. I felt like I was starting over. I went to Australia. I had the opportunity to go to Australia for a month and just really focus on what I wanted for my next chapter. And I created an outline of a program on paper in my head without a name. And I got back to Brooklyn and I was starting over. I was in my aunt's basement and working at the local restaurant so that I could make some money and just have time to really think about what I wanted. And, you know, I thought waitressing was just like easy money then. Then, different world now, huh? So as I was thinking about it, I was meeting my wife-to-be. And as I met her and I would tell her about my idea, She'd be like, oh, that's such a good idea. When are you gonna when are you gonna start this idea? So I felt like she gave me the push to go to my local bookstore and tell them about this plan. And the local bookstore had recognized me as being a girl from the neighborhood. She'd be like, Didn't you used to ride your bike up and down 82nd Street? I'd be like, Yes, that was me. She said, You can do whatever you want. You want Tuesdays? And I said, Sure. So I started in her bookstore. On Tuesdays, she had a regular group of babies and toddlers that would come for story time. So instead of coming for story time, they came to see Alex. That's all he was at the time, was just Alex. And they, they, they seemed to like it. And I was boosting my own self-esteem and my program by like focusing on the children. And as long as the kids were happy, the grown-ups would be happy. And I could do this. I could really do this. And as an introvert, naturally, that was the hardest part was to just get out there and sing in front of all these grown-ups and just focusing on the children really allowed me to to just perfect it and make it really great and then so I had this group of people that I had just from go showing me and telling me that my program is awesome. Now, Alex, are you singing your own songs at this at point? At this time? point, I'm singing traditional songs, but these songs that I picked, I picked from England. So like England, Ireland, Australia, like their traditional songs so that when people would come to my class, they would, it would be not what everybody else is doing. So I thought that was a good way to start. 
And as I was doing it, that's when the song writing just naturally came out. As a nanny, I would make up songs all the time for any situation. So why not translate those made up songs that I made for the little kid I looked after and put them for the masses? And that's how the dinosaur song came about. That's how, um, you know, Zoom, Zoom, Zoom came about. And a lot of, a lot of good, fun antics from being a nanny got pushed into Lavender Blues. So I love it. How many songs have you created for the program? Songs that are on the album, four. So I have an album of songs. And then songs we sing in class, probably about maybe 10 to 12. Then they just haven't made it to an album yet to make it an official song. Now you said one of those songs was Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Mm -hmm. How apropos for these days. (laughs) Right? Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. It's about a rocket ship. It's a traditional song. So it's a song that everybody knows that has babies and toddlers and goes to music class. But I had taken like the English version of it and then I remixed it. So I changed the cadence, I added a beat, I added a verse, and I call it baby hip hop, and I put it on the album. So the songs on the album, I wanted a song, I call it I Love Me, because I wanted a song that was all about what we can do and who we can become rather than what we look like. And I wanted it for babies and toddlers. So I made up I Love Me and we'd sing I Love Me in class. It's super cute, it's really simple, it's very short. We sing the same three verses three times in a row. As soon as you know it, go ahead and sing it, is what I would say. And then we do the song. And then I said, this needs to be on the album. So I asked my um, beat maker friend if he could do a beat for the I Love Me song. And he sent me the bassiest, deepest beat for this song. And I would let different people hear it. And every person I let hear this beat told me, that's not a children's song, Alex. You cannot make that into a children's song. I don't know, I really like it. And anytime I played it in front of babies and toddlers, just the beat, they would all do the, this, this bop that toddlers do. They just do this bop when they feet planted bop. And I'm like, oh no, I think this really could work. And I made it a song and I keep playing it. And as time goes on, more and more people just really fall in love with it. And I call it the anthem to loving yourself. That's fantastic. And there are two other songs on this album. There's the dinosaur song. So the dinosaur song was just to get the little kid I I looked after to eat. And toddlers love the opportunity to say yuck, right? They love the opportunity to be like, I don't want it, yuck. And um, so I made that into a song. So I'd be like, oh, well, what do you love to eat? Gabriel was his name. Like, Gaby, what do you love to eat? What do you want to eat? 
And he would tell me, and we would, I would make it into the song. I'd be like, mmm, Gabriel, it's so good. And he'd be like, mmm. So we made that into the song. And then we'd pick something that you're not supposed to eat because it's always a learning opportunity. With children's music, it's always an educational opportunity. So we always say yuck to something that you're not supposed to eat, like paper, like soap, because I have stickers for class and like, the, the babies always want to eat the paper from the stickers or we'd go that we'd have bubbles in class and they always want to eat the, the bubbles if you ever look at toddlers with bubbles watch the ones that are going to eat it they but so we'd say yuck soap so that's how the dinosaur song came about and then so when we'd sing it in class we'd stamp our feet and we'd do the doo-doos I would call it and the kids would all do the doo-doos and they'd stamp their feet and they'd always go mmm and yuck so when incorporating it into the album I was just like how can we make this extra cool like because it's the dinosaur song I feel like everybody's got a dinosaur song so one of the dads in my community that comes to class he is a world-renowned jazz musician and I was like, wow, awesome. Do you think you can do something on the album? Do you think you can come and play on top of the dinosaur beat? And he has this djembe drum where he had come to a party of ours and played the djembe drum. And the kids went nuts and parents loved it and everybody moved. I was like, yes, it's a moving song. Let's put this dad whose kid actually comes to my classes onto the album. Like how awesome would that be for future, for them, for me, just awesome for everybody. So he did, he came into the studio with me and he played the djembe drum and it's on the track. That was probably the hardest song for me to like say, okay, it's good and put it on the album. It, it was probably closest to my heart, the dinosaur song. So I needed it to be really good so other people would love it too. And the fourth song is King Bunny with Bling. It is Slick Rick inspired. Um, I'm a child of the 80s. And it came about from, I was driving on the Belt Parkway in traffic. My wife was sleeping in the car next to me, it's raining. And I had that song on a loop in my head. There's a hole in my bucket. It's um, it's a children's song. Oh, I know it. Dear Liza, dear Liza. I got it. Yes, there's a hole in my bucket. So I was that was on repeat in my head. So I changed the lyrics to go along with like just what I was thinking in the car that day. And at the end of like, so I, I voice recorded it into my phone and probably went back to it a couple weeks later. And when I went back to it, I could not think of the tune to there's a hole in my bucket so I was like oh and then so whatever fiddling that I was doing with the song turned it into King Bunny with bling and then as I would let the beat maker legend let me um oh no legend didn't do this one 
Eugene did this one. I said, um, Eugene, I want this to be really cool, like really, like really slow, really talky. It's got to have a slow beat and I want to like tell a story. And um, he's like, I got you. And he sent me the beat and I I sang my, my track over it and King Bunny with Bling was born. King Bunny with Bling. Bunny with bling is so funny, Miss Alex. A bunny with bling is so funny, we sing. And that is our story, Miss Alex. And that is our story of King Bunny with bling. And then anybody that listened to it after that said, is that about Tony? Tony's my wife. And I was like, what do you mean? They said, well, King Bunny is Tony, right? I was like, is it? And it is. And it's just funny because she just comes in. I'm super in love. I don't know if I mentioned that, George. I think she's fabulous. And so she's in the music. And there's another song, the washcloth song, Tony. that's completely acapella. It's at the end of the it's at the end of the album. It was supposed to be a secret track, but my bunny fans loved it so much I had to put it on the album. And um it's just a silly song that I used to sing to Tony. And now everybody calls it the Tony song, the ultimate love song. And it's so silly. It's about a washcloth. Are you there? Oh, Tony. Tony, are you there? Oh, Tony. Definitely, all the music, the original music that I put on there is definitely just my life. <laughs> Alex, the baby singer. I love that. Let's get back to the story, though, for a moment. How did you go from doing this in a local shop to having your own place? Well, the local shop really boosted my self-esteem. Um, so I thought, well, this will be easy. I'll just go find another location and start another class. And I was definitely in for a rude awakening. That first day at the new class, zero people showed up. And I really had it in my mind that there'd be a line out the door. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, how could people not be here for this? And so it was super humbling. And I had to just rethink how I was going to go about this. So I printed a whole lot of flyers. And I would walk around the neighborhood. And anytime I would see somebody with a buggy, a stroller, I would um, hand them my flyer and tell them how amazing my class is and how they have to try it. And once they try it, they'll really love it. And I got one person to come to this class, one person. But this one person came every week. And it was mortifying because what's worse than no people? One person. Because how, how do you tell this one person and how do you entertain one child for the class, the structure, how it's supposed to be? But she really 
hung in there with me. I feel like she was a, another black woman and she was really like feeling my energy, my attitude about it all. And she just really, she really kept coming. Elena, she was wonderful. And um, so I was like, it's the location. So let's scrap it. And I went to another. And at this other location, I had one kid come in on a Sunday morning. And I was like, great. My attitude was like, I got one. I'm going to talk them up. And the next week, there'll be two. And so I had one. And then I had one. And then I had two. And then I had two. And I had like three. It took a long time to like really build that first class. And once I built that first class and I did it, like these were my people. Like this is like, they're in and they were in all the way. And so they started telling their friends and it became consistent. So it was about six months of empty classes. And I don't know what kept me going other than my cheerleader of a person going, you could do it, you can do it. It's okay, it doesn't matter you know your purpose, you're going to do it. And I just kept doing it. And then all of a sudden I look up and there's 35 people in my class. I was just like, all right, I can do it. And I did it like that for every location. Every location I went to the neighborhood, started handing out flyers, started with one person to two people to three people. I started in 2012 and it wasn't until 2015 that my reputation preceded me. It was 2015, I started my very first babies only class and I walked in to a full class. And a full class for me was 15, 15 bunnies. I call them bunnies. And um, that was a moment. That was definitely a moment. I remember exactly where it was, what time of year it was. It was brilliant. And then ever since then, it's been really great. I mean, it's still work, it's still consistency. And I feel like because people can rely on me to always be there because I'm going to be there whether there's one or there's 30. I'm going to still give my same amount of energy. And I think people have come to appreciate that and then depend on it. How did the local community help you to open your studio, your physical studio? The physical studio. So all these locations that I had, they were other people's businesses. And Shout out to the long haul businesses that kept me there for the whole time, like Lark Cafe and Ditmas Park. Brilliant. I was there the longest. Um, there's a dance studio in Bay Ridge that kept me. It was a mother. It was her studio for dance. And she was like, you can have it for as long as you want. Like rent was definitely feasible and I could do it. So all of these businesses really like helped prepare me for what I wanted. And then, but at the same time, so many of those businesses, as soon as I would build that great class and have a lot of people coming constantly, um, they'd be like, okay, it's time for you to move on. And I'd be like, oh man. So it was that constant, okay, it's time for you to move on. That was really making me want to pull my hair out because it kept happening in Bedford-Stuyvesant. And that neighborhood, the families in that neighborhood were the ones that showed up and they wanted to play. They wanted to have fun. They thought it was like the highlight of their week. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just another class. It was like real community feeling with everybody. And that first baby class that filled up was in bedside. And the mothers and the babies and the nannies and the grandmas that met me in that location, they still know me and send me Christmas cards and come see me and talk to me years after their children have aged out. That's how much 
of the community we became with each other. And then um, I was like, I'm coming back to Bed-Stuy and everybody got so excited because I was renting another place from another school, the campment. Shout out to Andre in the campment because he was like, I have an empty space. Nobody's doing anything in it. Why don't you host your classes in there until we can open as a school? And I was like, okay. He had no idea how long that was going to be. So it was like, do I go in there? Do I not go in there? I didn't want to start another thing and then only be told to leave right after. But I couldn't pass up this opportunity. So I went and I started classes there. And it was summertime when I started. And it was October when I was like, I really need to find my own studio in this neighborhood. And the very next time I went to that class, I looked up and across the street, there was a studio for rent and it had a really big window. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Let me go check it out. And everything about it was like, yes, 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 yes. So it was October and I would, the lease to start in January, that would be perfect. Um, so with all the things that you have to do for leases and all the, everything fell into place. One of the moms in my community was a lawyer um, the head lawyer of some group that specializes in small businesses and helping them sign their leases. So she was like, here, have a lawyer, have a team. I was like, wow. But it was still about $10,000 that I needed on the day. And while Lavender Blues was doing very well at this time, um, I didn't know if I could get together $10,000 on my own in such a, it was like six weeks that I needed to, to get it by. So I was thinking, do I host a party? What do I do? But I didn't have the time or the energy to host like some big elaborate fundraiser because that's like a whole nother job. And um, so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what the GoFundMe does. I'm gonna put a GoFundMe up. I'm gonna tell everybody about it and what, what it is. And five weeks, $10,000, five weeks. That's all it took. That's fantastic, fantastic. You know, you never know what can happen until you ask and you say out loud what you need, what you want, what can help. And once I decided to lean into that and accept help from my community, it was just, it all just fell into place. And we opened with a bang, a bang. What are among the core values and lessons you want your bunnies to walk away from, from your program? I want my bunnies to walk away with a feeling that they are loved for just who they are, just for showing up, just for being themselves, just for existing. I want them to have that feeling that is super important to me. And I want the families to walk away with the knowledge of how to have fun, how to thrive and not just survive with their toddler and their infant at home. Because it's a really stressful time of life having between your zero and three. It's very, it's pretty tricky. I mean, all these moms and dads and grannies and nannies and everybody, primary caregivers out there, they need, they need a community. They need support. They need love. They need acceptance. And I love being that community. I always say, this is my living room. I want you to feel like it's my living room. Kick off your shoes and come be comfortable. And if you need something, please, I am here. I'm your hands. I'm going to do it for you. And people just love it. They love that. How do you get parents engaged during classes? My energy. It's the rare grown-up that can sit next to me like a lump and not start to move their bodies when they see me doing so 
much. I mean, George, I'm sweating at the end of class, like buckets. Everybody that knows me knows. Like I dress accordingly for class. I have sweatbands on my forehead, sweatband on my wrist. I'm like, we're doing this. This is a this is a all in. But at the same time, there are family there's people that just that's just not them. They they really want to be a part of it, but they don't want to do it. And that's cool because everybody around them wants to do it and their energy is is helping them and it's just making it a cohesive unit so it doesn't take I always say you don't have to sing because there's the people next to you that love it and they want to and they want to sing so they'll sing you can always just sing low to your baby because your baby loves the sound of your voice no matter what it sounds like pitchy not pitchy flat couldn't hold a tune in a bucket, all those people, like it doesn't matter. Your baby, your toddler loves the sound of your voice. So I try to like tell parents, so even if they're not doing it in class with me, they'll do it at home with their baby. Cause you can do anything with your baby. They don't, they're non-judgmental humans love it. You were featured, Alex, in a New York Times Sunday routine segment back in 2018. What is your Sunday routine like these days? Is there one thing you would want to tell us about to say, you know what, maybe try this, especially now during the pandemic? Oh, Sunday routine is definitely changed from the pandemic. Um, I try to really turn off and disconnect from all the, all the social medias, all the things, and really connect with my wife, which is the same as when we're in the New York Times, but we don't we don't get out there as much as we used to. We're very much homebodies on a Sunday. It's the only day that Tony's not working because she works on a TV show. And um, it's pretty full on, 14-hour days, and they, they work a lot of Saturdays. Alex, thank you so much for your time. George, thank you for having me. It was a blast. What do I do when I can't breathe? So hop and mad that I gotta scream. I stamp my feet and do what I need so peace and positivity comes back to me. Peace and positivity come back to me. Alex Branson is the owner of Lavender Blues. She and her wife Tony also operate a thrift store in Brooklyn. You can find out more about that, Alex's classes, which are right now outdoors and virtual, her children's album and TV show at lavenderbluesmusic.com. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Alex Branson. Thanks so much for listening.